Hey friends, we've got a great program for you today. I uh, interview historian Bill Federer on The Great Reset and also author Carl Truman on sexual politics and the transformation of Western civilization. So I know you're gonna love the program. And as we uh, close in on the end of 2022, I wanna thank you for tuning in this year. I look forward to some really uh, good programs next year as we continue to fight the culture of death. So this is your radio activist, Mark Harrington, wishing you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Activist Radio, the Mark Harrington Show is brought to you by Created Equal, and you can support our work and the ministry by going to createdequal.org. And if you want to find out more about the radio program and subscribe to our podcast, you can go to the Mark Harrington Show at markharringtonshow.com. Today on the program, I have as my guest Bill Federer, and Bill has written dozens of books on history and other things, including a book that we use quite often in our homeschooling called America's God and Country. Uh, and Bill is an expert on history, and uh, we're going to be talking about the Great Reset. And if you don't know what that is, then you need to tune into the program today. You need to be listening to what we're talking about, because this is what's happening across the world. Klaus Schwab, who's the president of the World Economic Forum, came up with this term, I'm not sure how long ago. He talked about a great worldwide reset. And if we recall, if you're old enough like me, you remember George H.W. Bush after the invasion of Iraq in the 1990s called for a new world order. And now in the last, what, two years, we've seen the COVID pandemic We've seen the uh, January 6 events and now the invasion of Ukraine. And uh, we need to consider all these things within the context of the Great Reset. And that's why I brought Bill on the program. Thanks, Bill, for being on the show. Mark, great to be with, great to be with you. So, Bill, listen, I mean, you're, we have a very limited time with you and a lot to cover. Uh, for, the, for listeners that don't know what the Great Reset is, could you explain what's going on here? Yeah, so the most common form of government in world history is kings. Uh, Pharaoh, Caesar, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsar, and they keep getting bigger because of military advancements, the king can kill more people. Uh, at the time of America's founding, the king of England had a globalist empire. America's founders broke away and flipped it and made the people the king. So republics and democracies are attempts to take the power of the king and give it to the people. But what if the king wants the power back? Does he just ask mm -hmm. for it? No. So there's two methods. One is fear. When the people get in fear, they will trade freedom for security. And the second is free stuff. And the king's really nice, gives away free stuff until everyone gets hooked. Sort of like a drug dealer takes over a neighborhood two ways. He can come in with guns and shoot. People get into fear and they'll pay the mob in exchange for being left alone. And But the other is free stuff. The drug dealer can give away free drugs until you get hooked. And then once you get hooked, then he begins to yank the chain and, oh, you want more drugs? You're going to have to you know, kill your neighbor. And so these strategies of uh, fear and free stuff uh, are ways to take the power of the people and reconcentrate it back into the hands of a dictator. Uh, the free stuff, it's a pretty interesting study. Um, how to catch wild pigs. You, you put a post in the ground and you throw some corn down. 
they come and eat the corn and ignore the post. Then the next day there's two posts and next day three, four, and you put them in a little semicircle and you keep throwing the corn down. And finally, there's just a little opening and uh, the pigs squeeze through the opening to eat the corn and you close the gate and you caught yourself some wild pigs. And so the Bible talks about uh, that fear of man brings a snare, but it also talks about uh, that every man is trapped when he's drawn away by his own lusts and enticed. And so that second is basically the great reset. You want to get everyone dependent on the government. And so mm -hmm. the, the tactic is how to do that uh, is basically you want to bankrupt the world. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then everybody yeah. will go to the government and say, help. And the government say, here's a check. We're going to create some money and we're going to give you a check. And then Oh, you want to continue to get this check? You're going to have to, you know, get the latest booster. You're going to have to, you know, have your metrics uh, taken on your face when you file online. You're going to have, oh, we found out you have guns in your house. You're going to have to give up the guns. And, and so what are people going to do? Um, and so this idea of um, destroying the economy uh, even goes back to uh, Karl Marx. So Karl Marx, Frederick Engels wrote the Communist Manifesto, and they also wrote this that they were alchemists of the revolution. Their business consists in spurring it into artificial crises. Mm -hmm. And Frederick Engels continues, every new crisis must be more serious and more universal than the last. Every mm -hmm. fresh slump must ruin more small capitalists. Mm -hmm. This will increase the number of the unemployed. In the end, mm -hmm. commercial crisis will lead to a social revolution. You think... You really want to put out a business, the middle class? Yeah, because socialism is a two-tiered society of a ruling class and a ruled class. And there's no room for a middle class because they can pool their money and challenge the ruling class. Uh, now, this was implemented uh, by Lenin. Lenin's attributed with the quote, you grind the middle class out of existence between the two millstones of taxation and inflation. Mm -hmm. Taxation is just take their money away. And that's what he did with the Kulak farmers who were the middle class farmers. He took all their land away and all their. But the other is inflation. And inflation is you create trillions of dollars out of nothing, chasing the same amount of goods. The price of those goods skyrockets and people on fixed income can't survive. So they go to the government and say, help. And the government says, we'll help. Here's a check. And you get dependent on that check. And then they say, OK. Uh, stipulations. If you want to continue to get this check, you got to give up this little freedom here and this little freedom here, and you got to register here and you got to do this, that, and the other, and you backdoor them into dependency. So, and, Bill, uh, before we get too far ahead of ourselves here, could you explain for those who are listening and watching? There may be out folks out there that think this is just some big conspiracy theory. This idea of the Great Reset. How does the pandemic? Uh, and then say the January 6th events, and even before that with the Trump, you know, the collusion, so-called Russia. And then I want to get to the invasion of uh, Ukraine. How does that all fit in to this supposed new world order that we have happening right before our eyes? And you've given us some history on that. But if you would kind of, and you've done it a little bit here, but I want to, I want people to understand that we're not, this isn't just made up. Right. So the COVID response was what, among other things, put businesses out of business, not the big right. box stores, not the Amazon and so forth, but all the middle class ones. They're put out. So people would rather sit at home and order through Amazon rather than get in their car and drive down to a little store and look through all their limited inventory and so forth. And, and so the net COVID response was a lot of small businesses went out of business. You know, right. um, 
there was a 1934 Chicago Tribune editorial cartoon, and it had a guy named Trotsky, and he's writing on a board that says, plan of action for U.S., spend, 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 under the guise of recovery, bust the government, blame the capitalists for the failure, junk the Constitution, and declare dictatorship. So all mm -hmm. these trillions of dollars on stimulus programs and infrastructure programs are not intended to stimulate. They're not intended to build the infrastructure. They're intended to inflate the currency. Now you add in uh, this Ukraine situation. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, I was the, just wondering, I mean, it, it, when I think about all of this and I, I, I wonder, are, are people just simply evil? I mean, is the, is the Biden administration evil? Do they have this kind of ulterior motive that they're attempting to bring about this, what you're talking about, this great reset? Or are they just taking advantage of a bad situation, which, you know, you reference Rahm Emanuel a lot that he, you know, said famously that we should never let a crisis go to waste. I often struggle with the idea that these people are that evil, that they'd actually want to take down the United States of America. How do you see that? Yeah, um, I think that, um, you know, historically, uh, tyrants have two tools in their toolbox, fraud and force. Fraud is they'll take away your freedoms and lie to you and tell you that they're taking them away for your own good. And as long as they can get away with it, they will. But Go when ahead. the um, people begin to see through that and they drop in popularity, uh, the next tool they have is force. And they just want to shove their agenda on everyone. Now, Biden's first day in office, he cancels the Keystone Pipeline. Okay. America went from a net ec oil exporter. We had lots and lots of oil, really cheap oil, to immediately we became an oil importer. And mm -hmm. where did we get the oil from? Uh, a lot of it from Russia. And you right. read the speeches, uh, there's Biden on record saying that he wants to put out of business the oil industry. It's true. Right? And and so uh, we buy oil from Russia. Uh, and then, of course, Hillary Clinton, remember her? That she oh, gave yeah. away a fifth of the U.S. uranium to who? To Russia in exchange for $145 million contribution to our Clinton Foundation. Um, and so I I think that we've gone beyond the, the fraud stage. You had politicians that would sort of take away your freedoms and lie to you. I think they, they just come out of the closet and, and they just have an anti-American agenda. And no, I think uh, you're right. You connect the dots. You really can't come to any other conclusion. Folks, I know this is just a, a kind of a, a, a primer, if you will, into this whole idea of the Great Reset. I hope it was helpful to you. And if you want to find out more, go to AmericanMinute.com. Bill, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Mark. My guest today is Dr. Carl Truman, and he is a noted Christian thought leader, also a professor of biblical and religious studies at Grove City College. He's authored several books. His latest is called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. He also writes for First Things. Uh, Dr. Truman, thanks for being on the program today. It's a pleasure to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Well, one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on is that you're uh, you're uh, one of our favorites here at Created Equal. We spent the summer, at least part, part of it, going through your video series uh, on your presentation, Makers of the Modern Revolution, which is part of a series on the uh, Grove City's uh, Great Lectures uh, YouTube page. And we found it very helpful because here at, uh, created equal, obviously we're not anti-abortion pro-life group, but we understand that abortion just didn't happen in a vacuum, that there's a reason why this is occurring. And it has a lot to do with the past, with the sexual revolution as it involved 
and related to, to ethics, law and culture and history. And so we felt it was important that we cover your book as best as possible by watching your video series. So that's why I was interested in bringing you in, because I wanted to kind of get a, um, a little update on what's going on. So in the time that we have together, I just want to jump right into this. Um, let me just ask you this. You, you talk about the notion of the modern self in the series and in your book. What do you mean by that? Yeah, good question. I think at the heart of the sort of topics you've raised already, sexual revolution, abortion, etc., there is a, a fundamental notion of what it means to be a human person, to be a human right. being that is mm -hmm. operating. And I think that that notion has changed dramatically over the last five or 600 years. If you think, if you imagine you were born in medieval Europe, your identity would have been very fixed. Your identity would actually have been given to you basically by the outside world. You'd have been born in one place. You'd have lived in that place for the rest of your life. You'd have died in that place. You'd have been baptized, married and buried in the same church. Mm -hmm. uh, everything about you or most things about you would have been fixed. We now live in a world where those external fixed things really no longer apply. We tend to think of ourselves now as the masters of our own destiny. Mm. I live three and a half, 4,000 miles away from where I was brought up in an entirely different mm. continent, entirely different country. Mm. Uh, I perceive myself and I perceive the world around me as something that I have great freedom relative towards, that I can choose, that I can be whoever I want to be. And it's that modern notion of the autonomous, independent self that I think underlies so many of the ethical debates and discussions we're having today. You also go on to talk about the expressive, uh, expressive individualism. Uh, is that different than the modern self or is that similar? No, I think it's another term, really, for the okay. modern self. And I should probably qualify and say the modern Western self. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that the same model would apply in Russia or China or India or Korea. Okay. We're yeah. really talking about Western Europe and, and North America. And the expressive individual is the person who thinks of themselves as primarily constituted by their inner feelings, their mm -hmm. own inner convictions, and who sees their authenticity as involving the ability to express those inward feelings outwardly. And it's in doing that that we, we find happiness. Uh, and of course, the, the implication of that is that everybody else is either a problem to us or instrumental to our happiness, mm -hmm. that we find our happiness for ourselves and other people are useful to us to the extent that they can contribute to that sense of happiness. So how does that how does that contribute to what's going on in America and the Western world as far as the social issues go? Well, if you look at uh, the the sexual revolution and look at the rise of sexual identity politics, LBGTQ plus, mm -hmm. really at the core of sexual identity politics is this idea that I am constituted by my desires or inner feelings. If I have a desire, a sexual desire for somebody of the same sex, then that is who I am. Mm -hmm. If you contrast that with say, ancient Greece, where there was a lot of homosexual activity, but nobody was identifying as a homosexual because they didn't think of their identity in terms of their desire. So that would be one aspect of expressive individualism. I know you're particularly interested uh, in the, the abortion issue. Right. Uh, think about abortion. What does expressive individualism teach us or tilt us towards doing? As I said earlier, regarding other people as instrumental to our happiness. 
So when the woman falls pregnant and has a child in her womb that uh, she thinks is going to bring great happiness to her life, then it's, it's fine to bring it to term. But if the woman falls pregnant and feels that the child is going to inhibit her career, inhibit her ability to express herself, inhibit her freedom, then that child becomes an adversary, an enemy, and ripe, mm -hmm. of course, for abortion at that point. Mm -hmm. My guest again is Dr. Carl Truman. We're talking about the uh, video series that is on the, um, the Grove City YouTube page, Life of the Mind, Great Lectures from the Grove, as well as his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Uh, Dr. Truman, uh, let's uh, jump in. I want to go over just a couple of the um, the uh, different parts of that video that you created there, Makers of the Modern Revolution. You talk about Freud's legacy and that sex is the foundation for human happiness and identity. If you would expound on that a bit. Yeah, well, Freud is an absolutely critical person, I think, in terms of understanding the, the intellectual genealogy of where we are today. Mm -hmm. Freud doesn't emerge from a vacuum. He comes uh, at the end of, of a several centuries where human beings, had, well, certainly Western thinkers, had become increasingly preoccupied with inner psychology as defining who we are. So you have the romantic movement that sees our, our inner feelings as determining, defining who we are. Freud is a sort of heir of the romantics in that he agrees that it's that inner space that's important for our identity, but he sees it as a dark sexual place. It's really mm -hmm. defined by our dark, un unmentionable sexual desires. And in doing that, what Freud does is he shifts sexual desire to, to the center of what it means to be a person. He makes sexual desire an identity. Sex, if you like, ceases to be an activity that you do and becomes that which you are. So Freud is, is critical. Now, people listening to this podcast might say, yeah, but you know, nobody reads Freud today, etc., etc. But Freud's message is the message that's preached by 80% of the commercials we watch, 80% mm -hmm. of the movies we watch. The mm -hmm. idea that you are your sexual desires and your happiness is constituted by fulfilling those sexual desires is now common currency in our culture. Dr. Truman's book, you can pick it up at uh, the Christian bookstores uh, online. Christianbook.com is one of them where you can pick up the book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. He's my guest today. Uh Dr. Truman, I want to go on to one of these uh, the videos, video number seven. You talk about sexual politics and you talk about how sexual codes are now seen as the tools of the oppressors. Uh, and in order to uh, dismantle those codes, that is at the heart of the political revolution. We see that happening now. It's just at light speed after the Obergefell decision of 2015. If, would you expound on that? And where do you think this is headed? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, obviously, it connects to what I've just said about Freud. If you think right. about it, if your sexual desires are constitutive of who you are, then that means that sexual codes, the laws by which society mm -hmm. regulates itself sexually, are not so much laws about behavior, as there are laws about who you are allowed to be by the society right. in which you live. So right. it's inevitable once the Freudian message had been sort of absorbed into the culture, mm 
that sexual identity would move to the center of, of political struggles. And that's what I think we're witnessing today. Uh, we've seen it with uh, the, the, the lesbian and the gay movement. Now we're seeing it with the transgender and, and the queer movement. Mm -hmm. So that's where we are. Where is it heading? I, I think it's very disturbing. Uh, right. One of the things that Freud, I think, gets right is that Freud, in his, in his wonderful essay, uh, Civilization is Discontents, Freud makes the case and it makes quite a compelling case, I think, for saying that sexual codes lie at the heart of civilization. It's sexual codes that define the family. It's sexual codes mm -hmm. that really lie at the heart of how we relate to each other as human beings. And that makes them important. It means that when you change sexual codes, you are changing some of the fundamental essence of civilization. Debates about sexual codes, if you like, are not debates about marginal rates of income tax. People can have strong convictions about income tax, mm -hmm. but the difference between 20% and 25% is not as great as the difference between believing that marriage is between one man and one woman and believing that marriage is a relationship that can be defined by the contracting parties in whichever way they wish. The transformation of sexual codes is a very, very serious thing. And I think our culture is hurtling down that that railroad with no idea of where this will go and no idea of whether civilization will be in any level sustainable at the end. Again, I'm talking to Dr. Carl Truman. You can watch the video series uh, on the life of the mind, great lectures from the Grove. That's the YouTube channel and the presentation is makers of the modern revolution. Uh, Dr. Truman in uh, on video eight, talking a little more about abortion in personhood, you reference uh, Peter Singer, who's a professor at Princeton University, sits on the uh, bioethics uh, board, I think, there. And you talk about how well, he's an animal rights activist, among other things. And you talk about how he believes there is no such thing as human exceptionalism and that personal happiness is the key to whether the unborn deserve rights or not. Uh, if, if you would elaborate on on uh, Peter Singer and his worldview, yeah, Singer is an interesting character. I, I teach him. I, I do a class on Peter Singer each year in wow. one of my courses at Grove. And uh -huh. don't get me wrong, when I say I like Singer, it's not that I like his views. What I appreciate <laughs> about Peter Singer is he's remarkably consistent. Yeah, he writes very yes. clearly, and he does not hesitate to draw the logical, clear conclusions from the premises that he sets forward. Mm -hmm. Singham makes, I think, a good point in, in arguing that human exceptionalism was ultimately grounded in, in, a, in a theological view of the world. Right. Uh, Singer sees human exceptionalism in terms of how it's been embodied in philosophies as really parasitic upon the Jewish or the Christian idea that human beings are made in the image of God and have certain mm -hmm. tasks placed upon them and a certain authority given to them that is not given to other creatures. And Singer then makes the point, well, that is not the consensus position of society anymore. We're not a Christian society in that sense. And therefore, we can't use such arguments for human exceptionalism. And what does that mean? It means that human beings, well, sounds a truism. We're not exceptional. We're just one form of animal in amongst many others. And therefore, why should we argue that we should have special privileges or special rights mm -hmm. relative to, to others? Uh, famous statement by the, the chief executive of PETA some years ago, uh, a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. 
that sort of captures very much in a popular way what mm. Singer is trying to do. And having said that, he then tries to rebuild his ethics, as you pointed out in the question, on the grounds of, well, okay, if we take search and actions, do they lead to greater amount of happiness or lesser amount of happiness? Uh, if the child is born uh, with disabilities, for example, and right. the parents still rejoice in the birth of the child and want to bring the child up, then that's great. The child should be allowed to live at that point. If the parents are devastated by this and think that bringing up a child with disabilities is going to harm their happiness, then it's okay to euthanize the child at that point because, touching on Anthony Kennedy, the child is not a person. The child mm -hmm. does not have a degree of self-consciousness at that point that would allow it to, to be considered to be a person. Right. And Singer makes the case in practical ethics that he makes the case that uh, we should ascribe rights of personhood at sentience, whether they're human or not. And he would say that that actually takes place 28 days after birth uh, for human beings. So he would put them on the level with any other, you know, part of the creation, human or otherwise. So it's an interesting argument. My guest today has been Dr. Carl Truman, and he is professor of biblical and religious studies at Grove City College. And he's written several books, one uh, most recently, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. You can pick that book up at christianbook.com. I also encourage you to uh, watch the video series, which is uh, on the Life of the Mind, Great Lectures from the Grove, which is the Grove City YouTube page. And uh, one of his presentations there is Makers of the Modern Revolution. Uh, thank you, Dr. Truman, for being on the program. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to markharringtonshow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.